Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. So, Matt, why do scuba divers fall backwards out of the boat? <laughs> you know, I've never thought about it. They do that, don't they? I don't know why. Because yeah. if they fell forward, they'd still be in the boat. <laughs> <laughs> I like that one. <laughs> Good evening, everybody, and welcome to the graveyard. Thank you for joining us tonight. My name is Adam. And my name's Matt. Now, pull up a tombstone or settle into your casket and get comfortable because this is Graveyard Tales. All right. How you doing, Matt? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. So we wanted to real quick tell everybody that next week is a dark week. Um, so don't look for a new episode from us then. Um, but the following week, what we're going to do is we're decommissioning another early Patreon episode um, because we've got some big changes that are happening in the graveyard and we need that extra week and... Yeah. We don't want you guys to be without an episode. We're putting in we a toilet. Want... Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> plumbers are going to have it messed up and, you know, we need we need the toilet because Matt, you know. Well, I mean, yeah, you know. <laughs> so whenever you hear, whatever you hear, Matt, how you doing? Uh, um, uh, I'm good. <laughs> yeah. you'll, know, new, uh, you'll know why. Graveyard commode that was put in. Um. But we will uh, we'll have that out for y'all. So um, there will be won't be as long as a normal episode. And it'll be like we did before with a early decommissioned Patreon episode. So look for that the week after next week. Yeah, you'll love um, it. Yeah, it, it'll be fun. Um, so last week was an episode that Ashley had picked out for me to do to teach you and Matt about. And this week we've got the episode that Amanda picked for Matt to do. So Matt, why don't you get into it? Take it away, brother. Okay. So, so Amanda picked this topic and and it's a topic that she had, she had mentioned to me a while back, just in passing saying, Hey, have you ever heard of this? And and it was a really, I thought it was a really interesting story. Um, so when, uh, when I asked her to come up with a topic for this week's show, this is what she said. So tonight's discussion is going to take us to the French Quarter in New Orleans, Louisiana. Now, yeah, baby. Now, New Orleans, NOLA, it has a rich history uh, and no shortage of haunted locations. That's now, no joke. Yeah, I mean, stories about the goings on at the uh, LaLaurie Mansion. And, uh, the, you know, the ghost of Marie Laveau is said to uh, walk around the grounds at the St. Louis Cemetery. St. Mm-hmm. Lu- Louis Cemetery. I got to say it right. Yeah, say it right, brother. 
<laughs> but as far as bloody, gory legends go, very few of those stories can hold a candle to the massacre at the Sultan's Palace. So, Adam, you ever heard I'm of this looking, place? I have, I have heard of it, but I don't know all of the ins and outs of the history or anything like that, so I'm really looking forward to this. Yeah, so, yeah, I mean, so, like a lot of folks, the legend of the Sultan's Palace may be one that has escaped you. You know, even the casual visitor to the Crescent City may not get the full story or even know it's there um, because it it's kind of overshadowed by the hype surrounding you know, a lot of the other places in New Orleans. Mm-hmm. But if true, this would be one of the most gruesome and horrific murders in American history. So the Sultan's Palace is officially known as the Gardette Le Prete Mansion, um, and it sits on the corner of Orleans and Dauphine Street in the French Quarter. Now, the home is incredible. in Inside and out, uh, even without the stories. Now, the mansion itself is three stories, and it has a raised half basement and ceilings higher than any other private residence in the city. That's cool. And at the time, it was the tallest house in the French Quarter. Now, the home was constructed by Dr. Joseph Coulon Gardet, who was a local dentist, and he had built a Pretty successful practice in New Orleans. Now, construction of the home was completed in 1836. Now, Gardette would actually sell the mansion only four years after moving in to a wealthy Creole banker and plantation owner named Jean-Petit Laprite. Now, I'm probably saying that. I'm probably butchering it. I practiced it <laughs> all day. I, I Googled how to say it. That was no help. So... Whatever. So I'm yeah, probably going to Creole. I'm a, Creole is hard. Yeah. I'm probably going to say it about a dozen different ways. So just bear with me. But, but anyway, Laprete, he bought the mansion for just over $20,000. Now, now that's a lot of money, but it was a crazy amount of money in 1840. Yeah. That's yeah, insane. And, and with inflation, it would be the equivalent of about $500,000 by today's standards. But imagine buying a house this size in the French Quarter today. $500,000 would be a steal. <laughs> I mean, you know, right? You, you'd be looking around going, am I on camera? Am I being punked? You know, is this really, <laughs> you really sell this for 500 grand? Um, but he would add to the luxury of the mansion by adding cast iron grill work to all the balconies, which has become its most distinguishing characteristic. You know, it really stands out. It's, it's a beautiful house. And, you know, like I said, even without the stories, just the house itself would be worth seeing. But um, the home had a, had a top floor ballroom. It had a large spacious galleries. And that, pretty quickly made it the center of Creole culture in the French Quarter. Now, when the Civil War ended, the the economic downturn 
saw many Creole families begin to lose their wealth and influence in the quarter. And during the second half of the century, New Orleans saw many Creole members of society caught in scandal and ruined. Now, Laprete was not immune to this, and facing financial ruin, he was forced to rent out his home in 1878. Now, can you imagine renting out that mansion? No. I, I was sitting Mansion there thinking about for that. rent, you know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, because I, I, I rent uh, right now, and, and I was thinking, how cool would that be to get a good deal on a big mansion to rent, you know? I wonder if it came with, like, butlers and stuff. So you're just renting this place, but you've also rented the butler. <laughs> renting the staff. You know? Right. So they're they're bringing you food and stuff. That'd be great. And, you know, those houses along the French Quarter are amazing anyway. And, and this one is absolutely no exception. But but when Laprete had to rent this house, that's where this story kind of takes a turn. So not just anyone in the late 1800s had the means to rent out one of the most luxurious mansions in New Orleans. So things were looking pretty bleak for Laprete. Now, one day, he was approached by a mysterious man of Middle Eastern descent. Hold up. Was it Lestat? <laughs> <laughs> you know, that you bring up a really interesting point. <laughs> you know, whenever you search haunted or paranormal or whatever stuff in New Orleans, you, you get all the ghosts and the cemeteries and, and Marie Laveau and the Lollery Mansion. Um, but you also get vampires. Yeah. And I don't know, you know, there's, there's TV shows where the vampires live in New Orleans. And of course that's where the, you know, the Anne Rice characters are from. Mm -hmm. So I don't know what the connection is. If, if it's strictly just Anne Rice or if there was, there's more history to that, but it'd be interesting to look into, you know, it's something we didn't talk about in our episode about vampires, which was based more on the history and the variation of the stories. But it, it is an interesting thing that you get vampires when you look up stuff like this from New Orleans specifically. But Yeah, anyway. I know there are active vampiric, uh, I, I don't want to use the word cults, but but people who practice vampirism oh, yeah. uh, that are still active there now. Um, but I can't see that being the reason why you would get vampire search results. No, all the time. no, you wouldn't. You wouldn't because it's it, there's just a lot of history there that surrounds, you know, the vampire legends and, of course, you know, the Anne Rice books because she mentions places mm -hmm. in New Orleans. But but this man, he had a really interesting story and lots of money. So Ooh. the best of both worlds. Oh, yeah. So this man explained that he was the brother of a Turkish sultan who had been deposed in his country and that that sultan was interested in renting the home. Now, I would imagine that this was a welcome blessing for Laprete as his financial situation was only getting worse. And so a contract was drawn up and signed and the move-in process was soon to begin. Now, soon after that, a ship arrived in the port of New Orleans and everybody started to disembark. First were the women, and they were said to be dressed in all of their finery, silks, satin, bright, you know, flamboyant colors. And next came the eunuchs, 
or so they say. Um, yeah, you know, hey, <laughs> I'm a eunuch. Sure you are. Remember when you told me a, you, you were a eunuch nine months ago? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but anyway, men dressed in dark black military clothing, each carrying a long bayonet. Then the brother of the sultan who had brokered the deal with Lepretti, and then the sultan himself. Now, lastly, came all the furniture. There were beds, vases, portraits, rugs, and so many fine pieces that the locals were just amazed when they saw this. So the procession of all the furniture and all the people went straight down to Jackson Square, went around the St. Louis Cathedral, and trekked down to Dauphine Street. The members of the entourage filed into the mansion with all of their possessions. The doors were closed, and that was it. Show's over. Really? No kidding. Yeah. That was it. Over the- so it, it was basically like a Mardi Gras parade, but just with furniture. Yeah, and they all walked into one house and said, all right, see you. Bye. We're out. Yeah, Done. well, not see you. <laughs> yeah, literally. Literally. And over the next few days, additional locks were added to the doors and windows. Guards were stationed at the front of the property and the gates were chained. No one was going in and no one was coming out. That's weird. Yeah, really weird. It's weird by today's standards. Imagine what it was like in the 1800s. Now, over the next several months, the mansion was buzzing with activity, though. Every night, music could be heard coming from the house, and the locals could hear the sounds of laughter and of pleasure, Mm. as the home seemed to be the capital of debauchery in the quarter. Were they playing backgammon? I'm sure they were. (laughs) They were. That's that's pleasurable. Hearing the rattling of the dice and, you know, that's what they were hearing. That's not what they were hearing. (laughs) But the scent of opium was also pretty common and you know they could you know you walking by you know you'd hear the music you'd hear the laughter you'd smell some opium and you go hey that looks like a party and and it really didn't appear that the party would ever come to an end but the local residents were never invited ever actually no one was invited into the house at any time Deliveries would routinely be dropped at the front, and the next morning would be replaced by bars of gold as payment. I was just about to ask about like food and stuff, how exactly. that happened. Yeah, it would be delivered, and then the next morning, the package would be gone, and there would be gold bars there as payment. Hmm. Now, because of all this, the the mansion quickly got the nickname... The Sultan's Palace. Sure. So one night, one dark and stormy night. (laughs) Here we are again. Yeah. So New Orleans was prepping for stormy weather. So people began to seek shelter behind shuttered windows in anticipation of a rough night. Now, the next morning, however, the sun came out to a beautiful morning. And residents had become so accustomed to walking past the mansion and hearing the sounds of revelry, that it was pretty much just mundane. It was just, you know, part of the quarter. But on this particular morning, 
one passerby noted that there was no music coming from the house. In fact, there was no sound at all. And the gate that remained chained at all times was flung open. Now, when this gentleman entered the gate out of curiosity, he was shocked to see blood oozing out from under the front door and trickling down the front steps. Wow. Yeah. So the man alerted the police, and when they arrived, they found a nauseating sight. Bodies were strewn about everywhere, as if an enormous wild animal had crashed the party and ripped his way through all the guests. The corpses of men, women, and children were literally torn apart. Good grief. It describes body parts hanging from the banisters, wall hangings, and even the chandeliers. The floor was covered with blood, making it very difficult to walk. And they said the sweet, sickly, metallic smell was more than many of the officers could take. So as the investigators walked further through the mansion, they found a horrible sight in the back courtyard. Sticking up from the wet soil from the previous night's rain was a man's hand with fingers spread wide as if he had been buried alive and tried to claw his way out. No kidding. No, no kidding. <laughs> now, now, some... I just don't know what else to say. You know, that, I, that's I know. crazy. I know. But some of, the, some of the accounts will say that this was the Sultan himself, and others will say that it was the infamous brother who had met with John, John Baptiste Lepreti. Now, either way, there was absolutely no one left alive in this mansion and no evidence as to who was responsible for the massacre. So, wow. Never heard that story, have you? No. No, that's that's wild and I'm I'm really shocked that I've never stumbled across that story. That's that's insane. And you know, when Amanda brought this story to me, um, and she said, hey, have you ever heard the story of the Sultan's Palace in New Orleans? And I was like, absolutely not. You know, and sounds I, like a strip club. It's right. Can you imagine silk scarves and everything? Like, It'd be a good one. <laughs> OK, I just I just had to I just had to censor myself. <laughs> Yeah, no, I can't, I can't, even, I can't even, I can't even, it's a family show, no. family show, yep. but you know, it's a, it's a great story. It, I mean, it really is. I mean, you know, just how it came to be, you know, the, the, the mystery behind it, the wild parties, the orgies, you know, the opium, and then all of a sudden, bam, you know, everybody's dead. You so know, I have a theory. Is it too early for me to give my theory? Well, I don't know. Maybe. Okay, I'll, I'll hold off. Then. Okay. So, it, like I said, it, it is a great story. But is it a true story? Now, you know, sometimes it doesn't matter. You know, a really good legend, you know, it, it, it will ring of truth. 
even if it's been embellished over the centuries to make it a better story. Right. You know, there's you know, nothing wrong with that. But there is no written account of a wealthy man of Middle Eastern heritage moving to the French Quarter. And certainly not a sultan. And there's no written contract that Laprete had rented the mansion to any such person. In fact, there's no evidence that he rented it to anyone at all. Well, if he was hiding, like if the sultan was hiding out, maybe there wouldn't be. Maybe, but, you know, he'd have to be throwing some of those bars of gold my way for me to go, yeah, we'll just ignore this contract. And <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> you know? right. I mean, seriously. But yet the story endures. And so much so that there actually are theories as to what really happened to the Sultan and his guests. So people have come up with theories as to what happened based on a legend. So, you know, it it has been accepted enough. Now, the most common theory, and uh, if you believe any of these, (laughs) was that the Sultan was not really a Sultan at all. But he was the brother of the real Turkish sultan who had made off to America with his brother's riches, wives, and servants. Although it took a few months, the true sultan's assassins finally located the thieving brother and murdered everyone in the house to send a message that the sultan did not tolerate being stolen from. That's a more logical theory than the one I had. Well, let's hear yours. But, okay, mine was, it kind of tied into what we were talking about before with when you do a Google search for New Orleans and you come up with vampires. Could it be that the Sultan was some sort of vampiric being of some nature and... You know, they are known to have such parties of debauchery and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Maybe he just got fed up with it at some point and needed to disappear and move on. And so he slaughtered everybody who might have had any contact with him and know who he was. But that theory of the brother of the Sultan actually is more logical and makes more sense than mine half-cocked theory of a vampire. Yeah, I know. I, but you know what? Honestly, I like your theory. I, I mean, I, I like it. It, it kind of makes the story even more macabre. But um, but I'm with you. The The story about the, um, you know, the, the, the quote-unquote sultan actually being the brother of the sultan having stolen all of his stuff, you know, finally getting caught up to and getting his just dessert, so to speak. But there, there are a few others. Um, one, uh, one theory is, is it was, it was pirates. The pirates were common around this time. Mm-hmm. And we know that they, you know, inhabited the waters of the Caribbean, you know, cause there's a ride. I mean, so that's gotta right. be it. <laughs> there's a movie. So, <laughs> Several movies. If you if you've ever seen the show Black Sails, well, honestly, I have not. If you've never seen it, you should. It's really good, and it's it's one of these shows that's um, fiction about real history. Oh yeah, you know the main character is a fictitious pirate, 
In, in fact, he supposedly it, it gives you the uh, the backstory to Long John Silver. Okay. However, all the other pirates that are in it are based on real pirates, actual historical people. That's cool. And so you can actually look up the people, the other characters in the show and find them. Now, getting into, you know, pirates were common to go all the way up into South Carolina and then go up into the Gulf along the Gulf Coast of, you know, Florida, Louisiana, Mississippi, you know, mm-hmm. all those areas right in there. Um, so that's not out of reason. But the idea that pirates could somehow sneak in past the guards undetected and wipe out all these people. And that, that seems like on, on estimate, they, they say that there were probably anywhere from 30 to 50 people in there. So there was more than just a few. Right. I mean, you'd have to take kind of a small army to go in there and and take on that, especially, you know, when it was, they had armed guards. Yeah. And to leave no trace that, like the outside, the neighbors or whatever would have heard or seen, or, you know, they, they didn't mess with any of the neighbors' houses and stuff. If you're on a, a raid like that, why are you only going to one house? Yeah, exactly. Even if it is a big house, why are you only going to one? Yeah. Yeah. Why not? Well, because that one had it all and they I had, per- so. and they had paraded it right down the French quarter. That's a good point. So it wasn't like somebody just wondered how much this dude had. They showed it off in a parade as they walked in. True. So, I mean, other theories, they are relatively ridiculous. Like there's one, including a revenge plot orchestrated by a scorned woman. She went in and dismembered anywhere from 30 to 50 people. Uh, Hell hath no fury. I I don't think so. You know. Yeah, probably not. And, and And I've seen some pretty upset ladies in my day. They're not. They're not taking down fifty people. Upset by, at you by themselves. I think they wipe me out with with a blink of the <laughs> eye. But if there was fifty of me, it'd take them a few minutes. Right. But um. But but why develop theories for just a legend? I mean, if it's just a legend, if it's just a story, then why why bother? Is it just fun? Maybe. Maybe. But again, legends usually have some underlying truth to them but you know honestly it doesn't matter whether the legend is real or not it's a great story but you know maybe records were destroyed or poorly kept or even lost you know but like i said it really isn't important that the legend is true or not true it just adds a more fantastic tale to some of the cool hauntings that are still reported today But first, let's talk about what happened after the murders. Well, you remember old John Baptiste? Mm -hmm. Yeah. He moved back into the house. Why? Yeah. That's what I said. Wait, what? (laughs) Why? He he moved back. (laughs) You know, I was like, did they have bleach and 409 and all that to clean all that stuff up at that point? Yeah. Yeah, at that point, I'd be saying, look, just tear it down and build a new one. Yeah. We're done. Why would you want to live in there? But anyway, he did. You know, he did indeed live in the house until 1878 when it was foreclosed on by Citizens Bank, the same bank that Leprete had helped start 
right in the parlor of that mansion. <laughs> Can you imagine? Nice. You start a bank in your living room, and later the same bank forecloses on the same living room. <laughs> That's what I've always said, man. Don't trust banks. Talk about yeah. irony. I mean, yeah. <laughs> you know, everything comes full circle, I guess. Backstabbing banks. But the, the story lived on until 1922 when the book Legends of Louisiana by Helen Pitkin Schertz was published. And so now it was 100% solidified as true New Orleans lore. Now, in the 1940s, the New Orleans Academy of Art had taken up residence, but they were forced to close shortly after they moved in because too many of their students were drafted to go to World War II. So the mansion sat vacant, vacant, and it quickly became a haven for the homeless who were seeking shelter from the elements. All the way up until 1966, when it was purchased by Frank D'Amico and Anthony Weiss Jr. Now, after a large-scale restoration, they converted the property into six independent apartments, and it still exists today, though under different ownership. So now not only can you can you go back and 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 live in it, six families can live in there. <laughs> where all that, these people were slaughtered, supposedly. <laughs> yeah, so now you've just added enough people to have right. another one of these type of slaughters. Yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> but imagine if you're digging around in there and you find some opium or something. <laughs> oh hey, that would be cool. So Party. <laughs> Well, I wouldn't even know what, what do you, I mean, I wouldn't even know what it looks like, you know? I don't know. It's like, I I like to sound cool like I know what it is, but in reality, I'm like, yeah. Well, it's, you know, it's what, it's what modern day heroin, you know? Right. You know, it's, it's what, it's, it's the, it's heroin's daddy. Yeah, exact. Granddaddy, maybe. Yeah, 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 probably so. But I know what laudanum is because of uh, that, that movie from hell. (laughs) <laughs> well and you know cocaine was fairly widely used by dentists right you know because it would numb the gums before they had to extract a tooth i don't think dentists you know in the 1800s did a whole lot more than yank out teeth you know can you imagine well, they also they also cut your hair too because the barbers in the time were actually the the dentist the, and stuff. Oh, okay, okay. So, so you went to a barber for minor surgeries, like having your tooth pulled, or you know, right, if, yeah. if you had to have something dug out of your skin or whatever. So, barbers and dentists actually um, cohabitated quite often. So you could go get shave and a haircut, tooth pulled, you know. <laughs> Oh. It's like Theodoric of York. Yeah. <laughs> you know, hey, who's the barber here? <laughs> but in uh, in 1979, Frank D'Amico's wife had just crawled into bed for the night. Now, she lived in the penthouse of the building on the upper floor. Now, as she described the event, Mrs. D'Amico, D'Amico witnessed a dark figure standing at the foot of her bed. It began to approach her gliding over the floor, and she panicked. So would I. Right. <laughs> now, she, she scrambled over to turn on the lamp sitting on her bedside table. 
Now, the lights flickered on, lighting up the room, and once she could see, no one was there. Now, the dark figure had pretty much scared the bejesus out of her. And sure. and this would only be the beginning of the weird hauntings that would occur inside the building that was the Saint, the, the Sultan's Palace. So according to historians and paranormal enthusiasts like James Caskey, there seem to be two main ghosts which haunt the Sultan's Palace. Now, this is funny because... Neither one of them are the Sultan. <laughs> so maybe it wasn't Look, the Are you going to bury me alive in the yard? I'm going to haunt this place like nobody's business. I'm telling you. Yeah, right. But uh, like, and, and neither one of the, the hauntings probably had anything to do with the legend of the murders. So the first one is a ghost of a Confederate soldier who is still haunting the house in his military uniform. Now, the second is the spirit of a woman who probably just lived in the house at some point in time. Now, what really incredible about this is that that ghostly Confederate soldier there, there were no civil war battles fought in that local area of new Orleans. Really? So why was he there? Maybe he vacation. was, maybe he was on vacation. You know, maybe yeah. he was visiting. Maybe he met up with a lady of the evening and she, uh, she stabbed him in the belly. There you I don't know, go. You know, stuff like that happened. You know, but yeah, for any reason, I mean, you don't just see a ghost and go, that's the ghost of a Confederate soldier. I mean, yeah, Lord you knows. Don't make that crap up. Yeah, we hear enough stories of Confederate soldiers' ghosts around Confederate battlefields. You know, now they're mm -hmm. popping up in places where they weren't even supposed to be. You know, yeah, but here's they, the they thing. need to stick to their own territory right. here, Confederate <laughs> soldiers. But here's the thing. It's it's pretty obvious if you can make out features enough to tell how they're dressed. You you kind of know, OK, that's a Confederate mm -hmm. soldier. I mean, they're, it's it's pretty unmistakable. Now, the residents of 716 Dolphine have experienced all sorts of paranormal activity including one man who moved into the first floor and the half-raised basement. Now, this was, this was fairly recent. He was going down the stairs to do laundry, and he saw his dog shoved bodily down the flight of stairs by some unseen force. Now, listen, you can haunt me all you want, but don't mess with my dogs. Exactly. I was <laughs> going to say the same thing. Don't you touch my dog. Um, look, my dogs are great big chickens. And, you know, they just, they, you know, any ghosts need to just leave the dogs out of it. Yeah. You know? Come at me. Don't come at my dog. You know, they go nuts and bark at horses and dogs on the television set. You know, just <laughs> let them be, you know. Yeah. I, I'll tell that to a living being, too. <laughs> oh, Don't yeah. touch my dog. Look, you come at me. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Leave the dog. Uh, leave the dog alone. Now, the same dog. He said, refuses to enter the living room unless the owner brings him in himself. But, you know, animals have always, it's always been said that they have a sixth sense when it comes to, to ghosts and spirits and whatnot. Mm -hmm. You know, that they, they just have that ability to sense something there. So, that, you know, that's, that's not unheard of that, you know, a dog gets spooked, won't go in a room 
and there's no right. there's no good reason. So right. so you know later tonight after you listen to the show, if your if your dog or cat won't come in the room with you, then there's probably a ghost sitting next to you. <laughs> yeah, so take leave that with the room. You. <laughs> <laughs> I'm giving everybody nightmares. Now. No kidding, right? <laughs> now other residents have reported hearing screams coming down from the hallways. Now that makes sense because. If you're going to dismember somebody, they're going to scream. You just Probably, prepare yep. yourself. <laughs> yep. At least for a little bit. <laughs> yeah, there'll be a scream or two at least. That's right. It depends on where you start. But, you know, if you start at the feet, you're going to hear some screaming. Mm-hmm. Now, and also in, in the apartment, some items will inexplicably, boy, I shouldn't have typed that word. You know, it's like I'm setting myself up right here. I'm I'm picking the words that I'm saying, and why am I typing out these words that I can't say? That's a valid point. I'm, I'm telling you. But, the, but things will go missing, and they don't return. You know, so they're not just lost and misplaced. And like, oh, well, a week later, there it is. Or it's like me, as soon as I rebuy the item, it shows up every, yeah, exactly. every stinking time. And so exactly. now I have two. So, but anyway, um, but keys seem to be a really popular item to disappear, you know, and they don't come back. So I don't know, maybe it's ghosts are taking them or people are just really, really bad at losing their keys, but but, or it's the fae, like we've talked about before. Yeah. Or there was a mockingbird in there. Yeah. You know, they like shiny stuff. Now, but of course, this story wouldn't be complete if there weren't reports of actually seeing the Sultan himself. And there are, and there are several of them. And people have seen the Sultan dressed in traditional Sultan gear. I, I'm not sure what that would be. Uh, <laughs> so that, I guess they, they see enough that they identify him and say, Yep, that's the ghost of the Sultan. Um, but but he, he's been seen roaming through the halls of the uh, elaborate mansion-turned-apartment building. So uh, you, you can only imagine you're renting this apartment, and now all of a sudden it's like, well, this place has got a really crazy legend, and now it's haunted. So, mm-hmm. all right, well, hope the rent's not too high. Yeah, no kidding, right? But visitors who have passed by along the street now... I say along the street because it's important to note that the building is a private residence. It is not open to the public. You can't just go walking in there and look around and poke around on the grounds. This is somebody's home or several somebody's home. Right. So don't take your spirit box in there. That's right. You, you can you can see it from the street. You can look at the mansion itself. From the outside, you can see the balconies and the ironwork and everything, and you can kind of glory in, you know, in the construction. Um, but you can't go in unless you somehow manage to make friends with one of the residents and they invite you in. Mm-hmm. So, and I guess that's possible. Would you just going to hang out there? You know, can you imagine you're living and there's all these people coming by your house, snapping pictures all hours of the day? You know, I'm just trying to go home, man. You know, <laughs> yeah, that would get old, old quick. But if it was me, I would give them something to take a picture of, you know, right. I, I'd be, I'd be hanging. I'd be, I'd be putting balloons and sheets and like floating about. Right. It's like you ooh, put a, like a, a dark cutout of a guy in the window 
just yeah. with a light behind it. I tell you what, I would put on my Sultan Halloween costume and go dancing around in the backyard, you know, say, hey, there check it go. out. Let's go Sultan. There you go. But uh, but some people who have passed by have said they have seen the ghost ghostly apparition of an elderly man roaming around the grounds. So a, a lot of different and varied stories of, of ghost sightings, you know, at the uh, at the Gardet Laprete Mansion or the Sultan's Palace, which sounds much more cool, but um, but yeah, I mean, it, it's a it's a really great story for a building that seems to be haunted, you know, along with probably ninety percent of the other places in New Orleans. But right, um, it, it it is a really good legend, whether it's true or not. And like we said, you know, there's there's really no historical documentation that supports any of it. You know, but how many legends have we heard and Adam and I have talked about that that's true for them, too? I mean, there's just there's not written history. You know, there's there's not hard evidence that says, yeah, there's something to this. You know, this probably happened. I mean, the story is quite outrageous, but it is also, you know, very interesting. And it does kind of lend itself to that, that, that crazy multicultural vibe that New Orleans has that, you know, most cities in the United States don't. Right. And there's power in a legend too. Right. You know, um, if I always bring up, tulpa in things but if you have belief in this legend of that house and that area and enough people do you might be able to create a haunting in that area just from everybody believing that there is a haunting in that area yeah and i'm i'm with you you know you uh you you have a haunting you have some paranormal activity and you develop a story that goes along with it. But for this, you know, the, the legend dates back to, you know, the middle 1800s. Mm-hmm. That predates any of the paranormal activity that goes on. All the paranormal activity there is, you know, much more modern. It's, you know, within the last, you know, 50, 60 years. Right. So the, to me, that's that's fairly interesting. And And if... If somebody did see the Sultan's ghost, were they were they actually seeing that or were they seeing something else? Were they seeing an apparition and just because of the story, they just made an assumption that it was the Sultan or, you know, did That's they very possible? Did they yeah. see anything at all? Um, which is always a possibility. But my guess is if you really want to take a tour and have a shot at experiencing something, New Orleans is probably the best place in the U.S. to go. Um, One of the best. Yeah. I mean, there's a there is a plethora of places to visit down there. And, you know, they they all have some really great legends and history um, that is documented. Mm-hmm. Um, but regardless, uh, when Amanda brought this up, I thought this is a really great story. And, and even if there's not a lot of haunted uh, stories from it. The legend itself is well worth sharing. So, oh yeah, I I really like that story, and it's you know it's one that I had never heard before, which is always interesting to me because 
you know me, I, I dig too much into this weird stuff and I'll come across a lot of random stories. So it's great to find one that I had no clue about. I, I had heard about the house that the Sultan's palace there, but I didn't know any of the legend behind it or anything. So that's, that's awesome. And for it to be that bloody a tale, that kind of tickles my true crime bone a little bit. Oh you yeah. Know? Oh yeah. Now, you know, I know, I know that you Adam have been to new Orleans m- mm-hmm. more than a time or two. My, my sister has been several times and, and I am, I am working my way to to make my trip to New Orleans. In fact, um, I think uh, we we were putting together a trip for uh, Amanda and our oldest to take a trip to New Orleans uh, later this year. So they they may actually get to go before I do. Um, but either way, uh, it, it's it's on the bucket list for sure, and not just to go visit for Mardi Gras. <laughs> you know, I'd, right. I'd, I'd probably rather go when it's not Mardi Gras. To be honest yeah, with you, I you, mean, you would. I mean, I'm you would. I'm I'm 45. I'm kind of outside of the Mardi Gras. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, even even if you were younger, I mean, to be honest, I've been down there during Mardi Gras, and I've been down there not, and it's just it's much more pleasurable to go down not during Mardi Gras, so you've got more free reign of the French Quarter area. You can still drink down there. You can still do your, you know, your partying and stuff like that, but you also have more room to walk, and you can go see the haunted places, and you can go visit the voodoo shops without drunk tourists, you know, trying to mug you and run you over and all that stuff. So uh, definitely, if anybody's going down there for non-Mardi Gras stuff, please don't go during Mardi Gras. Yeah, that's right. If you're going for Mardi Gras, go for Mardi Gras. <laughs> right. Go do that. If you're going to do anything else, <laughs> then yeah. then go down there at another time of the year. But um, but yeah, it's a great city, great stories. And I know we, we've brought up other stories from New Orleans before. And I know that we've got just tons of listeners that have been to New Orleans. And some of you may even be from that area. And you've probably got some really fantastic stories. Let us know if you knew the story of the Sultan's Palace. That's what would be the most interesting is, had you heard this legend, is it so popular down there that, you know, everybody knows it? Or is it one of those that kind of even escapes the locals? Mm -hmm. So I'd be interested to hear. I'd be interested to hear that. So uh, so let us know. Hey, we've got a link on our website uh, graveyardpodcast.com where you can drop us a note you know you can you know shoot us some ideas uh tell us some personal stories um share some anecdotes um a- anything like that a- did i say that right i think i said an anecdotes i think is what i you said and Anec- i'm just gonna let it ride anecdotes <laughs> it's getting late in the graveyard folks it really is um but yeah, let us know what you what you find. And on our website, you can find links to buy our merchandise. You can see some photos. You can listen to the show, and you can become a patron. And uh, thank you to everyone who's donated to the show. Yes, thank you. Um, check us out on uh, social media. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Just go search Graveyard Tales. And and if you're not already, get in our Facebook group. Man, every day I am seeing. Post after post, some are funny, some are creepy, some are just, you know, downright make you go, 
holy cow, what a that's right. a fantastic story. I mean, some of our listeners have the best stories. I, I could I couldn't even couldn't even begin to go start searching and finding any story better than some of the ones that our listeners have shared of their their own personal experience. And we absolutely love that. Uh, so please keep it up. Um, and I'm going to beat the dead horse. Go rate and review us on iTunes because that gets us up the rankings and it allows people to find us easier, which brings more people into the graveyard. Yep. So until next time, we'll save you a seat in the graveyard. See you soon. See you soon.